Okay. <laughs> Good to know. Well, thank you all for your patience with that. I asked Keith to change the setup because I went to listen in on a couple of our recordings and they're really hard to hear. So in addition to the recordings being better, you're probably going to hear me better than you normally do because I'm coming straight from the laptop in front of me. Does it sound better than normal? Louder. Yeah, good. I need to be louder or it sounds louder? No, it sounds louder, but you're yeah. good. You're good. <laughs> Great. Well, good to see you all. Likewise. Although when you're all comfortable, I'd like to see you here. It's not the same, not being around the table. When you're comfortable, let's try to gather together because it's just so much better to see our faces. Like I can see Linda's face right now, live. <laughs> live from St. Nicholas. All right, let's see, where were we? Yeah, last week we did one verse, the week before we didn't do any. <laughs> Really? Uh, let's see. Did we do Blessed Are the Peacemakers yet? Yes. We're on the next one. All right. So we're on 10. We're still in chapter five. Right. We're all the way to verse 10. <laughs> and I consider it a success. To, uh, to go this deeply. It's wonderful. All right. So, pull out my text. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How is this different than the others? Look back at the other Beatitudes, the other blessings. Makariya, blessed are. How is it different? It's, it's more similar to some than others. Which ones is that most common with? Let's put it that way. We normally think of being persecuted as a blessing. No. Somebody's hanging you by your toes or doing all kind of nasty things to you. We normally don't consider a blessing, which on a couple other ones, you get that idea. Well, a lot of them in many ways, they look to be things that aren't blessings, but he's saying they are. Being poor in spirit, mourning, hungering and thirsting. But in a sense, all of them involve difficulty, right? It's not easy to mourn. It's not easy when you're hunger, hungry and thirsty. It's not often easy to be merciful. It takes some sacrifice if you're going to be merciful. You're, you're, you're giving up that another might gain. Um, so it has a lot in common with, with many of them, but some of them we don't always consider the fact that these are all hard things. They're more obvious in some than in others. 
This is the one where it's most obvious, I think, that this is not something we normally think of as a blessing, being persecuted. I think it's the most obvious that um, in some sense, all of them are things that are unexpected blessings. Let's put it that way. So what's the blessing? Why is it blessed for those? We, we know what it accomplishes. We'll get to that in a minute. But why could it be a blessing to be persecuted for righteousness sake? In the footnote, it says Christ's kingdom is the crown awaiting the righteous. So it's a, a benefit or a gift for our future. Right. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. We'll, we'll get to that when we study that second half. But I guess before we get there, are there blessings even before the reward? And this is a little bit tough because we don't normally think of, again, being persecuted as a blessing. It's hard. It's, it's painful in all kinds of ways, physically, emotionally, um, socially, perhaps, if you're exiled. This one, it's easy. Yeah. Not giving up what you believe in and what he taught us, then the outcome would be good. Yeah, so the things that he's taught us, it's a blessing, and it's easier to see the blessing when it's easy, but here, now you're going to suffer because of it. But that same, it's the same road. You're going towards Christ. You're following his way. And there's always a blessing there. I think here he's reminding us that even when you suffer for it, forget the, the reward for a moment, there's a blessing in staying on that road. That's what I hear you say. Good. No, 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 no. Any others? Ideas of why it could be blessed before we even get to the reward. Sometimes it's, it seems that we, we learn more through difficulty. And so um, those are the things that kind of stick in our mind. They're the, whenever we're going through a rough time, that's when we turn to the Lord. Um, we realize our need more. And mm -hmm. so we're kind of driven more to God rather than just thinking, ah, I got this, or I can handle it. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you think about it, um, you know, we'd all probably say, I hope martyrdom doesn't come to me because I don't know how I would do. But my guess is the martyrs probably also felt that. And yet in their moment, God strengthened them. Even Jesus will say, you know, don't worry ahead of time what you're going to say. It'll be given to you. So there are blessings, even in the midst of that difficulty, that if you're not in the middle of it, you don't get. And you're right. I think we learn most often, we learn the most when we, we suffer for in some way. So, Father, yeah. um, I can't help but think when I read this uh, verse that um, persecution may have been uh, a lot worse in those days than persecution could be now. I mean, persecution then could be torture or death. And now it's, it's being 
uh, mocked or something on Facebook. Right. Yeah, yeah. For us, at least right now, persecution is relatively mild in terms of suffering. That's a good point. I mean, there are places where even today, communist China comes to mind, different areas in the Middle East. There, there are people who are enduring you know, horrific persecution for their faith. But you're right, for us, right now, that's not what is most likely. Well, it's not what's happening now. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, true. So I can't hear what Linda's saying at all. Ah, I told her, speak up. I told her to yell at the computer. Coming over, guys. One more time. You were saying <laughs> well, there's other ways to suffer. It doesn't necessarily have to be physical persecution. It could be emotional at the hands of someone else. Their words, their actions, their gossip or whatever. Definitely. Is there an honor in persecution? We know there's suffering. We know there's difficulty. Is there an honor in it? Father, I think the honor might be in the fact that it says, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Um, I oftentimes think that <laughs> many people who feel like they're persecuted are persecuted for their own poor decisions or for uh, not walking daily with God. And then when things get tough, uh, they, uh, they seem to think, I wonder why God's allowing this to happen to me. But if you're suffering for righteousness sake, there should be honor. Why? Because you will, you know, you're walking in the paths of righteousness. You are following hard after God. And if that brings you in conflict with your culture or with individuals and you suffer persecution because of it, it is an honor because of the fact that we have been made known what is righteous and we are following that which is righteous. Right. Good point. And so if, if we're following that righteousness, it's the way of God. Again, this is the study of Matthew. What's, what's the gospel of Matthew about? It's the story of Jesus, right? So the book is going to unfold by showing us it's not just following God in the ways that we knew him before in the Old Testament period through his commandments, through the prophecy of the prophets. Now, the witness of Matthew and the other evangelists, uh, Mark, Luke, and John, are telling us that it's not just following God who we have in the scriptures, we do, but now it's the one who's literally speaking these words. And then we're going to see him travel that path. This is one of the, most, the main points of, of Matthew and all of the Gospels, and really our Christian life. When we say we follow Christ, we don't mean that in a very general, vague term. It's literally following him, meaning whatever path he walks, means that that should be our path. So he walks the path of service and loving and helping 
and then suffering and even dying, if it comes to us, then that's our path. So to add on to your point, yes, it's following God, but specifically following the steps of Christ, whose story is going to unfold as we, as we go through the book. And what happened to him? He was persecuted for the sake of righteousness. And those of us that were on the, the study of Revelation go back to the fact that the Revelation is the call to be among the faithful witnesses. And the main example of the faithful witnesses was the Lamb, who himself was a faithful witness, a faithful martyr. Remember the, the theme of, of, of Revelation of all the martyrs, but they are the followers of the martyr, the witness, who's that lamb that was wounded and yet lived. All right, now let's look to the second half of that. Bless those who are persecuted righteous things. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have perhaps the most stark um, difficulty in terms of a blessing, an unexpected blessing, being persecuted. But now I think you have the most clear um, reward. But um, has that reward been heard before? Yes, Father, for those who are poor in spirit. There you go. So we began with blessed the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're getting towards the end and the same reward. So let's draw some conclusions. Nothing in, in the Bible is accidental. Two actions, same reward. What does that imply? Oh, it come full circle. Yeah, and the actions must be connected. They've got to be connected. They, they, they result in the same thing. So somebody says, well, how do you get to St. Nicholas? I might give them directions. They might be different ways, but they're somehow connected because they end in the same place. You can't say, well, they have nothing to do with each other. So somehow being poor in spirit is a connection to, or you might say is integral to being persecuted for righteousness sake. And I would say that unless you're poor in spirit, you have no room. You, when you're rich, you're full. When you're poor, you have lack, you have need, you have room to be added to. And so those that are poor in spirit um, have room to add it to their spirit, God's spirit. And that must be part of what it would take to be open to be being persecuted for righteousness sake. Let me read you a couple quotes on this. Uh, this is from Chromatius. Not without reason did the Lord previously mention hungering and thirsting for justice. He instructs us so to thirst in our desire for justice that for its sake we should despise the world's persecutions the punishments of the body and death itself. The martyrs above all are the epitome of those who for the righteousness of faith 
and the name of Christ endure persecution in this world. To them a great hope is promised, namely the possession of the kingdom of heaven. The apostles were chief examples of this blessedness, and with them all the just people who for the sake of righteousness were afflicted with various persecutions. Due to their faith, they have come into the heavenly realms. So he's connecting one of the previous um, Beatitudes. I think you can make a connection with all of them. All of them are going to lead us to the place where we would accept persecution for righteousness sake. Does anybody remember how St. Peter was martyred? He was upside down. Yeah, and why? Well, he didn't want the same crucifixion as Christ. So willing to be crucified, willing to suffer, willing to receive persecution for righteousness sake, and yet if he's saying, I can't do it in the same way, you can see there, even in asking for that kind of a persecution, you can see the connection with Christ. He says, I can't go in the same way that he went. There's a little uh, chapel. When we were in Rome a couple of years ago, um, there's a little chapel where um, the, the, the tradition is, this is not in the Bible, but in tradition, when Peter was being persecuted, he was fleeing Rome. And as he's running away down this path outside the city, he meets someone who says to him, Quo vadis? Which in Latin apparently means, where are you going? And, and I forget the whole story, how it worked out. You could probably Google it and find out. But he realizes that this is a... A, a manifestation of Christ who's asking him, where are you going? And Peter realizes he doesn't need to run anywhere, that his persecution was his path. And he turns around and he goes back to Rome and then he's arrested and, and, and killed. But I thought that was a really, I'd never heard the story before. And it was, you go to the chapel and they have the, the rock sort of, uh, you know, roped off. And that's the rock that supposedly Christ was standing on when, when Peter was going to run by him. Mm. That was a neat story. Any other uh, thoughts or questions on this verse? We're about to finish with the attitudes. You hear the question? I, I often. In the choir, we sing the Beatitudes after or during funerals, and I just wondered why are we singing it? Yeah, it's part of the funeral service. Because we need to people will come to the cross. Mm -hmm. yeah, those are, you can sing anything as we're leaving, nothing's set for that. But the, 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 yeah, so, why at a funeral? Great question. It's our send off. What do you mean? Well, we're rejoicing that the person is with Jesus and will be blessed. Yeah. If, if what? 
if they followed all 10 Beatitudes? Yeah, if they were blessed. They'll be blessed. They're in the kingdom. If what? If they were persecuted, if they were poor in spirit. In other words, if they followed that path, that's where that path leads. Now, I don't know. That's my guess. But that's what I would say. That the funeral is the end of the earthly journey. It's not the end of life. It's the end of the earthly journey, which our prayer is leads to the kingdom of heaven. And how do we know if they follow that path? You look down this list and go, yeah. Now, that's a challenge for us because we look at the list and we go, hmm, I have some work to do. Father, I've got the funeral service right in front of me, and you're right. It says, remember us, O Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, and then it lists them. And then at the end it says, a citizen of paradise, O Christ, thou didst make of the thief, who because of his repentance upon the cross cried unto thee, remember me. Make thou me a sinner worthy also of the same. So it's a matter of remembering that these are the virtues that we sought after during our life, or that the deceased sought after, and remember them, O Lord. Yeah, and you know, it's not on the topic, but I've, I've wanted to share this thought, and I'll share it now. Um, if you look at the funeral service, it obviously contains some prayers for the departed. But if you look at it critically, you're going to find that that's the minority of the service. There are a few references where we pray for the departed. And as that is an example, what's, what's the meaning of that particular verse? So look at the one you read again. Maybe read it again for us. You want me to read the uh, A Citizen of Paradise, O Christ? Yeah. Thou didst make of the thief who, because of his repentance upon the cross, cried unto thee, Remember me. Make thou me a sinner worthy also of the same. Who's the subject of that paragraph? Who's that about? Us. That's us. <laughs> yeah. And if you look at the funeral service, I don't know what the percentage is. I would guess it's two-thirds or more. It's about us. Mm. That person has departed. We pray that they are uh, have now found their way to the kingdom. That's part of the prayers in there. But it's our chance to go, okay, but our journey is still continuing. And this is our moment of reflecting on what, where are we going to be when that moment of death comes to us? And it's, it's, it's an important uh, message because a lot of people come to a funeral service. They go, wow, what a beautiful service. And it is beautiful. But... There's not a lot about the deceased. You know, if you go to a modern funeral, what they often call now a celebration of life, yeah. it's all about the person, yeah. which is fine. It's nice. Okay, you want to talk about them and reflect on them and, you know, in some traditions, pray for them. Most, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. But um, the funeral service is really mostly about us. And what are we doing now to affect the outcome of our lives? Yeah. We're asking that the person who's remembered always 
And who's the eternal one? God. We're asking him to remember them. But it's also a prayer, I think, of that we should be remembering them. That people shouldn't be forgotten. You know, that's one thing. Um, orthodoxy, again, it's, it's the perfect faith. It's the whole faith. Um, we don't forget our dead. Right. Um, 40 days, six months, one year, five year, 10 year, 20 year, 50 year. We remember our departed. Uh, we had a long discussion. What's that, Alan? I said that it's one thing that bugs me when um, children who grew up in our church and have left it and their parents or aunts and uncles or grandparents have passed on and after the funeral they don't even do a 40 day or they don't remember them annually or right. it's just like they're out of sight out of mind yep that that bothers me yeah it should it should bother everybody that's not normal that's not I, I'm, I'm it's nice that um, not many I don't know many churches that do what we do is to pray for those that are on who are buried from our church at least they're remembered by the church and not necessarily by their family. Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had a long discussion about this. We were talking about the bulletin a few weeks, months ago, I think it was. And we moved the remembrance instead of the first Sunday of the month in which they passed, we moved it to the week before. And our hope is that we might spark people to go, oh, I forgot. Next month is my mom passed away. I should offer holy oblations or you know almost you're right the church should pray for them but their families as much as the church if not more should be the ones that really guard their memory right you know so that's our hope is that we spark that remembrance of people to say oh that's right next month and then they would offer uh, oblations and remember them as well and you know the the place of the departed um elaine i hope you don't mind me sharing this we had a beautiful um, blessing last Saturday morning. Um, the marker came in uh, for Steve's grave, and it was beautiful. And we went out, and there are prayers that you say at the installation. I threw out the cross, but the cross is on a marker. Um, the blessing of the cross over the departed. Um, so you bless the marker. You bless the grave before they're buried in it. Um, you, you bless it annually when you go back you visit there you remember them you say prayers over their body you go to their place it's not just you know people will say well why do i have to go to church it does matter where you are physically it makes a difference the zoom thing it was okay while we needed it for during covid but as soon as we could we wanted to get past it for, for church because it matters where you are physically it does matter to go to the place where our departed lie and rest there, we, we don't say that's just their body. That's them. Now, it's one of their aspects. It's not the whole of who they are, but it is an aspect of them. So to remember them, to pray for them, to visit them, to pray over their graves, all that is, is part of how uh, we should remember our departed. All right. Uh, so the last verse here, Sadiq, would you remove that for us? Verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely 
on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. So obviously connected to the previous verse, verse 10, but as I think Linda pointed out, that persecution might not be just physical. Uh, and here he gets very specific. They might revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And again, these are the blessings. It's That, that doesn't sound like <laughs> it's not fun. It's not easy. But Christ is trying to reorient us to really redefine what is good and what is bad. Um, I talk a lot in my preaching about, you know, the things that are hard are not bad and are most often good. In fact, if you want to find out what the good thing to do, almost every time, if you can't figure it out, say which one is harder, and almost every time, that's the better. That's the good. The easier is almost always uh, the bad. So, it seems that over over history, that um, maybe not all, but many of the wars and conflicts that we have had have been over faith or religion or beliefs, or um, you know, in the early years it was, of course, about uh, Christian and and it's that Christianity concept has continued to caused a lot of um, discomfort in the world because of people's beliefs and leading to war in many cases, whether it's between, you know, in Northern Ireland or, or in um, Europe or wherever it may have been over the years. Yeah, and, and that point is made by opponents of religion who as part of their argument for why religion should be done away with, would say, you know, so much of the world's suffering came because of religion. And on one hand, it's true. But here's the difference, I think, for Christianity. Um, Christians are going to incite violence if they're being Christians, not in name only, but they're being Christians, they're not going to be the actors of the violence. They're going to be the recipients, right? So we'll see that as Matthew's story about Christ plays out. Jesus is destined to be killed, one, because of our salvation, but mainly because the world, and we'll see this played out mainly by the Pharisees, the world doesn't want to hear that message. And those that are most against his message of forgiveness and grace and truth and love, the, the parts of the world and the actors in the world that don't want that are going to try to silence that message, meaning they're going to silence the messenger. Now, I agree with you, and Alan, in the sense that Christians have, at times, fought wars, but I, I don't know that I can never name... I don't think there is a time when Christians waged war uh, because of the faith. I can't think of any. Can anybody think of any? Well, I would think that, that some people might say the Crusades. Yeah, that's what Linda just said, too. And I would argue that that was not a Christian effort. 
Yeah, they were trying to recover this, the Holy Land. They wanted to, they wanted the Christians of Europe to be able to pilgrimage to the Holy Land. They wanted to recover it from, from the Muslims that had taken it. And you could argue this. I would argue that that was not a Christian effort, even though it was done in the name of the Christian church. And as evidence for my argument, what did they do on the way back on the Fourth Crusade? Sacked Constantinople. Right. There, there's so-called so, so brothers and sisters uh, already weakened persecution under, under Muslims at the time. And then they rape and pillage and plunder and steal. So, you know, Isn't it kind of like, um, if you look at history, um, the, uh, the church or Christ versus the civil emperor, like whether it would be Caesar or somebody else. And then um, over time, it was the communists, the, the, the power of the government, who was going to um, get the will of the people to be on their side. Is yes. it Christ or is it the, the, the government? So when it worked, how did the Christians win those battles? When it went in terms of, of an ideology and, you know, when, when did the Christians succeed? When they kept the faith alive, whether it was underground or in their home privately. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when they suffered. Yeah. In other yeah. words, by, by preserving it in secret and all that, or by accepting the persecution that came with it. Um, the, the, the church has always grown in times of persecution. The church has sometimes, I would say, rarely grown when there is no persecution. Look how the Jews suffered under Nazis, you know. It's not just Christians that suffered. It's right, right. And I would argue that that led to a revival in Judaism. Oh. Judaism before the Holocaust um, was a smaller, less vibrant community than after. So yeah, it, it doesn't just work for Christians, but in terms of Christians. I would say it's against, it would be against our faith to fight for the faith, to kill someone else or conquer someone else to advance the faith. We don't do that. You want to kill us? Kill us. And what's going to happen? Every one of us you kill makes 10 more Christians. I mean, look at Rome. Rome started persecuting the Christians at the end of the first century, 670, somewhere in there. And it wasn't consistent, but on and off. And after 300 years of that, the empire becomes Christian. Not because the Christians banded together and fought the armies. They didn't. They marched into the arenas and they lined up to die. And the end of that was the, the Christianization of the Roman Empire. Um, you know, you, you take something like Northern Ireland and you can see where in the name of religion, you really have human battles. But there was, you cannot, nobody can make an argument that those were Christian battles. They were battles among people who call themselves Christians, Catholic and Protestants in that instance. Well, Father, I think that in Ireland, Northern Ireland, they had a political battle there too. And they, they you know, they were hiding under the name of, 
of uh, religion, but it was indeed, I think it still is a political issue more so than a religious issue. Yeah. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that it's always wrong to fight. People have said, you know, if, if Christ said, turn the other cheek, should we have an army, for example, in our country? Um, well, as Christians, we turn the other cheek. That doesn't mean that as nations that we can't defend ourselves, that we can't take up arms and protect our families and our, our We have saints that are soldiers. St. George is the one principally that we would know. And nowhere was he criticized for being a soldier. And in fact, when, the, when there's a section of the Bible, I forget which gospel it's in, different people come to Jesus and they say, how should we live? And a group of soldiers come and they say, what about us? How should we live? And he says, uh, don't, uh, let me paraphrase it. Don't, don't abuse your authority to, to abuse people. In other words, just because you're in the armed forces, you can't make people do things. And be content for your wages. <laughs> he doesn't say, stop fighting. Don't enter into battle. Now, at the same time, is killing wrong? Yeah, we'd say it's never a good thing. Which is why our, our, our church, we bless our soldiers as they go off to battle. We ask God's protection for them. And when they come back, we hear the confessions of what they did. They killed people. And even though it was for a good cause, we acknowledge that that wasn't a good thing. And we can we hear their confessions, which, by the way, I think is a, such a healthy thing that if our secular armed forces would understand, I think we'd have a lot less problems with uh, PTSD and things like that. They need to, a way to, to deal with what they did when they went out to do a good thing. And a lot of- I agree. Yeah, unfortunately, the secular world doesn't have that mindset to understand the psyche, which is not just the mind, but the soul of a person. They, they need to, to confess. They need to repent and they need to receive healing. But- Well, again, I mean, even in the Old Testament, I mean, how many wars did they fight? You know, David was a warrior. And yet he was beloved by God. Yep. And through his line came Jesus. So. Right. Yep. And even Je Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Now, what's the sword? He, it wasn't like going and attack people who don't believe. Me. In fact, what does he say to Peter when Peter cuts off the servant's ear when they come to arrest him? Put away your sword. Yeah, the sword is not the advancement for the faith. You can be the advancement for a nation or things like that. But in terms of the faith, it's never by the sword. No. All right. Uh, let's see. I'll give you a couple of quotes about this. Um, this is from St. John Chrysostom. But to keep you from supposing that being slandered of itself makes you blessed, he has added two qualifications. First, that it happens for Christ's sake, 
And second, that what is said be false. Do not expect to be blessed if you are being reviled for something evil and what is said being said is true. Important qualifications. Here's another quote from St. John Chrysostom. Look then at the reward again, for great is your reward in heaven. Don't be discouraged if you don't hear the kingdom of heaven granted with every single beatitude. For even if Jesus names rewards differently, he still puts them, puts all of them in the kingdom of heaven. Or in fact, he says, those who mourn will be comforted. Those who show mercy will be received mercy. Those who are pure in heart will see God. And the peacemakers will be called sons of God. In all these things, the blessed one does nothing but hint at the kingdom of heaven. For people who enjoy these things will certainly reach the kingdom of heaven. They're all connected. Any thoughts or questions? I want to go to the next small section now because too often we hear the Beatitudes out of context. All right, so quickly, what led to the Beatitudes? What was the setup for hearing Jesus say those things? Go back and review chapters one through four quickly. What's, what's the story so far, in short? Yeah, we'll let, it, we'll let up to that. Yeah, so go back to, to Matthew 1, and let's see how the story unfolded from the beginning. Where did, it, where did the story start? Yeah, so it starts with that genealogy which connects Jesus to David and to Abraham. So Jesus is in a line, and, and Elaine just mentioned this. He's not coming out of nowhere. He comes out of this line. There's a history. There's a story already unfolding before he comes along. And so the genealogy sort of connects him to that previous story. Then we have his birth, in which already what's happening to him? He's already being persecuted. Right? Hasn't even done nothing other than being born. He's already being persecuted. The flight to Egypt. You have the coming of the Magi. So again, that that connection of Jesus, not just with the people in the the promised land, a connection with the East, a connection to Egypt, and the ones in the promised land already serve the ones that are persecuting him, namely so far Herod. You got chapter two, you got the Magi, you got the star, uh, the, the escape to Egypt, coming back to Nazareth. Then chapter three, you have John the Baptist. And what's his message? What's John's? Repent. Repent, exactly. Let me hear a little more about John. Um And then I think I just you have John criticizing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He starts to prophesy about the coming of Jesus, and then 
We have the baptism of Jesus. Identification of who he is by the voice from the Father. Right? Then Jesus goes off to the wilderness. His temptation. He comes back, and what does he do? Begins his ministry by calling the disciples. Yep. And just before that, what does he do? Very first before, 17 in chapter 4. He says, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. All right. So he begins to preach. He calls his disciples. Then he brings them up the hill and gives them this first instruction. All right. So that's the connection of the Beatitudes before. That's the that's the that's what leads up to it. Now, we got to see where what connects to that right after. So would somebody read for us uh, verses 13 to 16? No one wants to volunteer. Okay. Thanks. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. All right, so before we get into the message itself on its own, can you draw any connections to what led to it, whether it's the Beatitudes? Or even what led to the Beatitudes. In other words, Matthew's writing a book. It's one verse to the next, one sentence to the next. And this is the next after the Beatitudes. What's the connection to what led up to this? What Or connections? Would one of the uh, connections just be light? The presence of light in darkness. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's it's telling the disciples what their job, their purpose is. He talking to us. So I mean, he's talking to the disciples, but we're reading it, so we're yeah. part of it. Yeah. So how, how is that connected to what led up to it? You think? What way? beginning his ministry he's instructing the, the disciples and then Matthew wrote the book and this is like our handbook what we should be doing any connection with the genealogy throw this out and see what you think the genealogy was full of people all of whom should have played a role a positive role being salt and light for the world some of whom did and some of whom didn't but all of whom are considered part of the story right 
the Pharisees are ones who should be the examples in the story. They should be the models. And we've already had John the Baptist. We'll hear Jesus later on talk about the Pharisees. Already John calls them the brood of vipers. In other words, we're already going to see, and we'll get this developed later as it goes, being part of the story is not just about who your parents are. Not just about your identity. If I look at salt, and I look at it, and I see the name on the bottle, I go, that's salt. But if I use it to flavor, it may have lost its saltiness. It may have lost its taste. Meanwhile, somebody could say, well, it's still salt. So I think what he's starting to show us that your identity is not just what somebody calls you or what you even call yourself. What is Jesus elevating above identity or description? I think it's, it's, it's your your works. He's elevating the the flavor of the salt and the light. You're the light of the world, and um, and he he says uh, he talks about your good works, so they can glorify God. Exactly. In other words, yeah, it's not your identity; it's what you're doing. It's not just who you call yourself. We talked earlier about Christians. You could say on the same hand that real Christians um, suffer for their faith. And some would say Christians fought for years in Northern Ireland. And some people could mistake and say, well, it was a Christian war between the Catholics and the Protestants. Obviously, yeah, identity-wise, sure. In their heart, that wasn't a Christian activity. Fighting that war was not the work of Christian faith. Christians might have done it, or so-called Christians might have done it. I'm not going to judge whether they were or weren't. Jesus would say that what they called themselves is not important. Was Were those wars salt and light? Absolutely not. So there's two things that Jesus is already going to elevate here, and we're going to see this throughout the whole book. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. Matters is what you do, and what you do matters because it's about who you are in on the inside or from the heart. We talked about the heart a few weeks ago. This is another aspect where you're going to see it played out. It's who you are in your heart. If you're not salt in your heart, it doesn't matter what you're going to give people. You're not going to give them saltiness. Not you call yourself salt. If you're not salty, it doesn't matter. You can think you're light of the world, but if you don't shine your light, it doesn't matter. You don't light a lamp and put it under the bushel. You put it on a stand for all the all everyone to see. So we're going to see this play out, this inner reality that will always result in an outward manifestation. But it's not an outward manifestation that's fake. It comes from the inner reality. And I'm going to refer back to this. You'll hear me talk refer back to this section many, many times, especially. When we talk about the Pharisees, what Jesus' um, uh, problem with, with them is. It's not that they're teaching the wrong thing. 
They teach it just right. They'll call them hypocrites and all kinds of other things about that. Let's spend uh, two minutes talking about why salt and why light. Well, salt, salt flavors and it preserves. Yeah. In other words, it's not the essence. It's not the meat or the food. It's what makes that meat or food tasty. So there's a unique relationship that we are the salt. In other words, we're not going to come in and say we're the most important. We're not going to put ourselves as the main thing, our job is to flavor what's already there, to enhance, to preserve, to, uh, to improve, to make it you know, tasty and delicious. Father, do you remember in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, where um, Jimmy Stewart and his wife were going to the house of... Uh, um, somebody else they, and they were just moving into this house and the wife one of the things that she brings to bless that house is salt yes for flavor yeah the the Russian tradition I believe is when you have a visitor uh, even for the bishop you present them with salt and anybody know this bread bread and that's what she had. Why salt and why bread? Well, bread, the food of life. Yep. And again, salt. I mean, you, you know, all of us know this. All those that cook and those that eat. <laughs> salt is, the, is one of the key things in any food that you prepare. If it's undersalted or oversalted, it's, it's not good. <laughs> Father, I've heard before that uh, in uh, ancient times, they would often pay soldiers with salt, which gave rise to the statement, he's worth his salt. That's right. Right. It's that valuable. And yeah, because it's valuable, you can trade for it. Yeah, that's true. I think, I think the Roman soldiers were paid, paid in salt. Oh, yeah. Well, it's abundant, but think about this. How do you, if you are able to flavor your food with salt, how does that come to be? How do you get that salt? It's mined and yeah. it costs it's a lot of sweat. And if you sweat, you need salt. <laughs> yeah. So it's a, it's a intensive process to get salt from where it is to where it's useful. You got to mine it. You got to crush it. You got to grind it. You, I mean, it's it's not just you know you go out and you find a salt shaker. You know, this is again where, where modern people are at a disadvantage spiritually. We don't get some of this. You know, we say you are the salt of the earth. Be salt. We think of going to the store and spending eighty nine cents for the thing this big. <laughs> you know, that wasn't the ancient understanding. It was like wow, that would like valuable because of what it took to get it. They understood that intrinsically. And what about light? Why light? What is, what's the function of light? 
light helps everything grow. Yeah, part of life. There's safety with light. If you're shut, if you can't see, you could fall. You can't see the dangers that are there. Uh, there's fear because you can't see. There's you're limited what you can do. So the connection between them is really interesting. They're both not necessarily essential. You can have something without it, but it's really no good. You know, a day with no light. Uh, the hard thing, Elaine, you could probably understand this better than us having lived in Alaska. Yeah. That long Alaskan winter. Well, I have to say that during the darkest part of the winter, it's Christmas time and people hang out their Christmas lights, which helps immensely. Sure. I, I, to me, I don't know if I could do it. You, to see the sun come up, you go, okay, the sun's here, and then it sets. <laughs> yeah. That would be hard. So they're both additive. They're both um, layered on. They both enhance something that's already there. That's, that's, I think, one of the connections. All right, why don't we end things there? And I believe we're here next week, right? So God willing, we will see you all, not before, next Thursday. And again, if you're in the neighborhood and you can do it, join us in person. We want to see your faces face to face. Thank you, Father. God bless you all. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Thank you. Bye, Thank everyone. You. Well.